0: Esther Dave Rolfe speaks of ambition and greed
1: next. Ambition is something that the scriptures make very clear, absolutely necessary for God's people. But there's a point where ambition turns into greed. There's a point where you lose your ability to draw margins and borders and say, you know what? We're in a good place right now. I think many of us deal with those kinds of issues because. We, you know, we feel like, and maybe we feel like, oh, man, I wish I had worked harder when I was younger, but now I've got to make up and catch up, and I'm, here, and you never know what's going to happen with the economy, so I need a little more and a little more and a little more. And our entire economic system is built on people never getting satisfied. It's designed to make everybody feel like you need to do more.
0: Wake up my soul. Wake up early. Wake up my hands and the instrument I play Wake up my voice, let the world hear me say You are worshipped and it's all to today Glad to have you on board as we present the Balanced Word and our final message in our Kingdom Building series. In 2 Samuel chapter 24 we see a transition in David from ambition to greed. And that can easily happen in our own lives, as we live in a society always pushing us to have more and never be satisfied. We'll learn a thing or two about contentment as well as costly worship and what happens when leadership blows it. So if you're ready, let's dive right in. Here's Pastor Dave Rolfe with part two of
1: Consequences. According to the Jewish rabbis, this mountain, this hill, this place, this threshing floor, originally was the place where Cain and Abel offered their sacrifices way back in Genesis 4. It also is is said to be the place where Abraham came to offer Isaac. It was then the place where Solomon would build the temple. And it's the place where, again, as Jesus returns, he's heading right up there. It's also the place where Jesus taught, he cleansed it, and he was brought there in order to be you know, punished and and ultimately hauled up the hill a little bit more on the mountains of Moriah in order to be killed, probably just just up uphill from this threshing floor. But so it's a prominent place. Um, it's the place where um, today there's the uh, the Dome of the Rock that's there. The Muslims believe that this is where it, you know Muhammad ended up ascending into heaven, and so it's an important place. So now God says. This is where I am, and I have something for you to do. And so as God was there, David spoke to the Lord. He saw the angel striking the people, and he said, Surely I have sinned, and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. He said, This is on me. These people don't deserve this. And that's a heart of, of, a, of a godly man for sure who would rather take the suffering himself because he understands they're suffering partly because of him, partly because they maybe had been ambitious as well, but he cries out to God, and and Gad came that day to David in verse 18 and said, go up and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. He goes, God wants you to build an altar right there. Why there? Obviously God's plans we're later and we're always God's looking back, man, that place was special. It always has been. It's going to continue to be special. And so God told them to do that, and which was the first step. And later on in, in uh, First Chronicles, you see that David began collecting all the stuff to build the temple where Solomon ultimately built it. So David, according to the word of Gad, in verse 19, went up as the Lord commanded. And Araunah looked and saw the king and his servants coming, and he goes, uh-oh. And he went out, bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Araunah said, why has my lord, the king, come to his servant? He's like, what, uh, what can I do for you? Can I help you? It's nice to meet you. I mean, we're neighbors, but we don't really know each other. And so David said, I want to buy the threshing floor from you. And he's like, Well, what kind of price are we talking about? No, not at all. He said, I want to build an altar to the Lord there so that the plague will be withdrawn from the people. Now, Arana said to David, Let my Lord the king take and offer up whatever seems good to him. He goes, You can use it. You can build an altar. You can do anything you want. He goes on and says, Look, here are oxen for burnt sacrifice and threshing implements and the yokes of the oxen for wood. He goes, you can have it all in verse 23. All these, O king, Arana has given to the king. And he said, may the Lord your God accept you. I hope this goes well. So Around, of course, it's David. It's like he wants to do a sacrifice here on my threshing floor. I can find other places to thresh wheat. This is my king. And so David's like, I want to build an altar here. He's like, please. And I'm not going to accept your payment. But this shows us so much about David. It's, this is a fascinating scripture that I just have going through my head often. Um, the king said to Araunah, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which cost me nothing. David said, if you give it to me, that cheapens the level of sacrifice that I am going to make there. And so I can't have you just like, oh, here, it's just fine. It's a perk. Feel free to take it. He goes, when I make a sacrifice to God, I want it to be a sacrifice. I want it to mean something. And so he said, we'll pay for it. So he bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver Now, over the years, it turns out that was a bargain, but back then it was a fair price. And David built there an altar to Yahweh, and he offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers for the land, and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. And that's the end of 2 Samuel. So from this last unusual chapter, what lessons do we get? That's always the question when we read the scriptures. One of the first things that... I think you see going on here because you have to get back to what's this whole deal with numbering the people? What's he trying to do? We saw three chapters ago that they had peace, that all of their enemies were basically gone and they were secure. What made him number the people? Was it to gloat? Was it to show off? Or is he just thinking, maybe we'll take some more land. We're on a roll here. Certainly the army's good at fighting, we've got good numbers, and Joab, how about let's just, for old times' sake, let's just go wipe out some other civilization. Let's expand, let's take, you know, Asia Minor while we're at it. Let's go and take Syria, let's go, let's go somewhere else. How does that happen? See, and here's the thing you have to think about. If you live without ambition, you'll never get anywhere. There are people who never get anywhere because they never have a sense of, hey, I could do more than I'm doing. I could do something else. Ambition is something that the scriptures make very clear, absolutely necessary for God's people to be ambitious. But there's a point where ambition turns into greed. There's a point where you lose your ability to draw margins and borders and say, you know what? We're in a good place right now. I think many of us deal with those kinds of issues because we you know we feel like and maybe we feel like oh man i wish i had worked harder when i was younger but now i've got to make up and catch up and i'm here and you never know what's going to happen with the economy so i need a little more and a little more and a little more and our entire economic system is built on people never getting satisfied it's designed to make everybody feel like you need to do more and so we get that ingrained into us. Now, there are some people who never do anything. That's a complete waste of a life. People without ambition, without a vision, the people perish, and that's certainly true. But even people who have godly ambition have to learn that, okay, there's a point, there's a place where what I want to do is everything that God has called me to do, but I don't want to just keep thinking, that it means just more and more, bigger and better. Jesus talked about the guy who was so successful in his business that he kept, he was a farmer, and he kept, he didn't have room for all of the crops, and so he said, I'm gonna build more barns and more barns, and Jesus said, you, the, the God said, you idiot, you're gonna to die tomorrow. How many barns do you need to do that? And I think for all of us, that can happen. It's one of the reasons why, one of the biggest industries in our country is the storage industry. Because again, stuff we don't even need, but I can't get rid of it because you never know when I might need it. And, you know, and it's always like, okay, I need to get promoted to my level of incompetency, like the Peter Principle says. If I can get a better job, I'm going to get it, and then I'm going to get a better job, and then I'm going to get a bigger house, and a better house, and a bigger car, a better car. And all that comes from a real good desire that gets carried away. We should always have ambition to do everything that God has called us to do. But at the same time, we should always be checking that ambition so that it just doesn't turn into greed. And with David, it would seem at this point in his life should have been a time when he was just enjoying All that God had done. God had given them peace. Now he has a son who's brilliant, who's going to take over. And that should have taken all of his energy mentoring Solomon and preparing him for the even greater things that God was going to do. But he's just like, "Yeah, we haven't counted the soldiers in a while. I wonder, what what do we got here? For, For guys to go work for a year and a half, just come up with a number? I doubt if that was it. But he's probably thinking, you know, I miss war. Let's go do another one. The world so often is controlled by people that never have enough, by empire building. That's like, okay, I have this, but I want more. It's why Solomon ends up with 700 wives and 300 concubines. Like, I've had only one wife my whole life. I'm satisfied. (laughs) But, you know, there's always something within us that starts imagining. What would that be like? And so, and so this it seems like that's his thing. I, so for us, I think when we look at this, this story hinges on the transition from ambition to greed. If you aren't ambitious, that's a serious problem. But if your ambition has just turned into greed, That in itself is a devastating problem. And a lot of other people are going to suffer because of it. And in this story, we also see the truth that when leaders mess up, it's their people who suffer. It's usually not the leaders that suffer that much. You've seen, we've seen in the corporate world where somebody who is making horrible decisions and the business completely falls apart and tons of people are without work and people who have invested have nothing But the leaders had golden parachutes, and they're just fine. They'll bounce right back. And see, that's true, too. But it's one of the reasons why we should use every, you know, influence that we have in selecting our leaders when we live in a country where that's a part of our responsibility as citizens. We shouldn't take lightly the idea that when our leaders mess up, we're going to pay for that and a lot of other innocent people are gonna pay for it. Be easy if it was like, okay, leaders mess up, leaders get punished. David, the leader messes up, innocent people are being killed. So that's something, and every one of us is a leader in one way or another. Someone looks to us, we are an example to someone, we have input into someone's life, and we need to remember, we can't afford to just be careless and sloppy, and we can't afford to be greedy, because ultimately, that's going to affect people besides just us. And it's probably going to hit them harder than it even hits us. But really, when you look at the story, it all comes back to where it ends with worship. It all comes back to sacrifice. We don't like to talk too much about sacrifice. But remember, everything from when God told Cain and Abel to sacrifice, ever since then, God's been talking about sacrifice because Letting go of something that's valuable to you, letting go of something that's precious and offering it to God is the closest thing that we will have to understanding what he did for us when he sent his son to be sacrificed for us. We share in the sufferings of Christ because by us making a sacrifice, we go, wow, for them. I have an expensive lamb, my favorite lamb, the best lamb I have I'm going to sacrifice it. Is it because somehow that does something for you? Not so much, but it's that it gives you an awareness that sacrifice is a huge part of living in a fallen world, in a broken world. And it's ultimately what would happen. It's the ultimate picture of, like in Isaiah 53, that amazing statement about Messiah, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You can't understand Jesus if you don't understand sacrifice, but that's why God talks about sacrifice so that we can have an analogy. I know what it's like to let go of something that's important to me. And that's life in a lot of ways. Now, I was thinking about this last part of the chapter this week. Are you going to give God something that costs you nothing? David said, it wouldn't be worship if this is something that's easy If this is something that costs me nothing, the essence of a relationship with him involves a sacrifice. It involves expense to some degree. Now, I was this week, um, this coming week, I'm heading back to North Carolina to do a memorial service. And I I was going to fly back, but then I just thought, you know what? I could use some time with the Lord. And my wife can't ride in the car yet because of her back. So I'm like, You know, this could be, it'd be good for me to just spend a few days with the Lord, driving across this great country of ours, seeing where everybody's running to from California. But I love our country. And so the more I've thought about it, I've been thinking, I'm looking forward to just getting out there on the road with the Lord. I need it. And so I'm excited about it. But I was having lunch with a friend of mine and I was telling him what I was doing. And he goes, oh man, he goes, look here take my company credit card. He said, I don't want you staying in some flea bag motels, I don't want you eating crappy fast food, I, everything, your gas, your hotels, your everything, just put it on my card. And I go, oh, that's really sweet, I thanked him. But then, you know, as I left, I started thinking about this passage that I was studying this week. And I'm like, that would be easy, but I don't want someone else to pay the price for me to worship God. I, I need myself, if this was true of David, it needs to be true of me, that at some point I have to give something that costs me something, not just let somebody else pay my way. Now, in church, a lot of times, this is kind of the way it is. We've, most of the research says that 80% of the money to operate a church comes from 10% of the people who come to the church. So 90% of the people in the church Are not contributing anywhere close to their share of things. Because we have the idea that, like, worship is just about, oh, I'm going to come and sing a song. Yeah, I'm going to come, and yeah, that might help out a little bit. I might do this, or I might do that. But actually giving in a way that's sacrificial, people don't understand that, even though that's the point of worship in the Bible by far. Now, we don't talk about it, and I don't talk about it because it kind of, there are people, because of the, prosperity gospel and everything, there are people who like push you to give, give, give because, and they ironically do it selfishly. You need to give so God will give back to you. God's, for him, it's like, you need to give because it hurts, and I'm not giving it back to you. I'm burning it up and letting it go up into heaven. Are you willing to worship me like that? Now, for the people who do support the ministry of the church, certainly God rewards them. But to the degree to which we're freeloaders in worship, we're not really understanding worship at all. And I'm sorry if that sounds harsh. Yeah, I am. I'm sorry if it sounds harsh, but it probably should sound harsh because this is the essence of a relationship with God. How can we understand worshiping him if we ourselves aren't the ones who say, and I'm doing this in a way that costs me? Because he's worth it. And that's really important. I know, like at our church, we don't like to charge for anything. So we have lunches and breakfasts and, you know, events and everything. And we're always like, yeah, it's free, it's free, it's free. It's not free. But the question, why do we do that? Because frankly, there are people who, it's not that they don't have the money. They'll pay it for Netflix or something. But, oh, it's like, if it's free, I'll do it. And that misses a a huge point. And so there are times when I think, Maybe we are too bending over backwards to give people a free ride. It doesn't do you a favor to give a free ride and have an easy, cheap version of worship that costs you nothing. David understood that. He's the man after God's heart. He's the man who Jesus goes, yep, I'm related to him. And so this is, for me, a lesson that we have to learn. It's especially relevant today as it's the first Sunday of the month and we're going to celebrate communion you ever think about that, that Jesus told us, I don't ever want you to get very far beyond my broken body and my shed blood. I want that to be a reminder to you constantly. Now, do you think he wanted us to remember it so that we'd go, oh, thank God it happened to you and not me? Or do you think he may understand that in many ways, if you are truly following him and you are truly treating him the way he is worth, that it's going to cost you something and that that's okay because it's worth it. He is worthy of that. I I think this is something that communion is really, that's the perspective. You don't take communion to go, I'm glad you died and not me. And I've heard people say, he suffered so you don't have to. Have you like ever been alive? Do you understand that it's about suffering anyway? But it's really a question of can you commit your suffering to him? Or can you take a shortcut and do everything you can to avoid suffering? There's an entire addiction industry that's that way. Let me just save you from the consequences of life. Or do we embrace life as he gives it and say, he suffered so that I can suffer too. That's something that doesn't make sense if you're selfish. It doesn't make sense if you have moved somehow from from being, uh, you know, somebody who has plans to somebody who becomes greedy. But when you really understand Jesus, you really understand his sacrifice for us, then a lot of other things end up making sense. Again, I, I'm not saying that so you'll give more money. It wouldn't, that wouldn't last very long. Probably do offering and more money would come in and then everybody goes back to where their heart really is. I just want to challenge you and me to say, what is worship? Really mean to you? What does it mean that when you worship, you are remembering a broken body and shed blood? Because that's the essence of what it is to follow in Jesus.
0: Today on The Balanced Word, we're putting the finishing touches on our kingdom building series. Don't rush away, Pastor Dave Rolf will be back momentarily. You can find all of these studies at our website, thebalancedword.com. In case you missed a study or two, this is a good way to listen and learn when it's most convenient. TheBalancedWord.com You might also want to request the entire Kingdom Building series. Again at 949-362-7475. We'd also like to offer you Pastor Dave's Through the Bible in a Year series on a USB thumb drive for a gift of $25 or more. Go Through the Bible in a Year with Pastor Dave by ordering this special series today. Again call 949-362-7475. Or order online at TheBalancedWord.com. Your gifts help to make these shows possible on stations like this one all across the nation. Thank you for standing with us with either a one-time gift or ongoing monthly support. Donations can be made at TheBalancedWord.com. Have you had a chance to listen to Pastor Dave's one-minute messages? You can listen to those at TheBalancedWord.com and even join our mailing list, so you can have them delivered to you each day. You can watch them on Instagram or Facebook, too by following CC Pacific Hills. Pastor Dave would love to have you join us at Pacific Hills Calvary Chapel. Our service times on Sunday morning are at 8, 9:45 and 11:30. Directions and more information about the church can be found online at ccpacifichills.org. You can watch our live stream there too, ccpacifichills.org. If we can pray for you in any way, we ask that you contact us through the or by calling us at 949-362-7475. Now here's Pastor Dave leading us in prayer.
1: Lord, thank you for the wonderful truths that you reveal to us in this ancient book. And God, we're, there are times when we just have no ambition. We know that's not right. But there are times when we won't limit our ambitions in humility and we become greedy Lord, there are times when we think other people should suffer so that we can have a free ride. And there are times when we just want to worship you as cheaply as we possibly can. You've given us this example of David, that a person after your heart doesn't do that, even though it seems like the most natural thing. Hey, make it easy for me, and I don't care what it is for somebody else. Lord, we want to be people of your heart. We want to be those who understand fully what it means to worship you. That it doesn't mean, oh, I'm going to go spend some time with the Lord and it's going to be easy. That it can mean flat tires, it can mean getting lost, it can make all sorts of other things that could happen. But you're worth whatever it is we go through in order to spend quality time in your presence. Thank you for teaching us that. Thank you that on that spot where this altar was made, that was purchased, that's the same spot you're going to rule and reign from someday. Help us to be your people. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thanks again for joining us and come back next time when we'll again point to balanced living through the Word of God. This program is brought to you by Pacific Hills Calvary Chapel in Lisa Viejo wake up my soul wake up early in the day wake up my hands and